I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hi, everyone. I'm Steve Sutherland. Uh, I'd like to welcome you to the third part of a special four-part interview uh, organized by the Charlton Athletic Community Trust and in association with our friends at Charlton Live with Charlton great Keith Peacock. Now, I'm proud to be an ambassador of CACT, uh, which, as you know, is working extremely hard at this important time on the community hub on behalf of Royal Borough Greenwich, and that supports vulnerable local residents. And CAC staff are out there delivering food parcels, collecting prescriptions, providing other invaluable support at this very, very stressful time. Other important CAC projects haven't been forgotten. They've been adapted, such as the Football and Sports Development Programme and the Extra Time Hub for Older People. To ensure that CAC continues to support the community in the way that it always has done. Now, in part one, uh, we covered the uh, 60s and 70s, Keith's career. In part two, we covered that uh, era when Keith was away from the club the whole 10 years he spent in America and then coming back, started his managerial career in the UK at uh, Gillingham and uh, Maystone, with a little spell at Creed PR in between. Part three today, we're going to be talking about Keith's return to Charlton in the 90s. So uh, with no further ado, let's uh, welcome the man himself, Mr Keith Peacock. Hi Keith. Hi Steve, good to hear from you again. And, and... It's uh, no, it's, it's great, and I really enjoyed the uh, the uh, reminiscences and going through your career, Keith. But uh, and last last one, obviously, you were away from the club uh, the whole ten years. But um, it didn't take long after you'd left Maidstone. Let's pick it up from where we left it before. You'd left Maidstone, uh, and a couple of months out of the game, collect your thoughts, I suppose, wonder what you're going to be doing next, and then you received the call from Mr Lenny Lawrence, didn't you? Yes, uh, Lenny asked me to come along to the training ground and uh, we'd spoken many times in terms of trading players, mainly me buying from free transfers from Charlton when I was at Gillingham and a, a little bit of Maidstone. So, um, had you known Lenny before much? Because obviously he had an interesting route into football himself, didn't he? Yes, I first came across him when I was manager of Gillingham and um, he had taken over. I, had, I didn't know him. I didn't know his name hardly. Um, arrived at Charlton for, to talk about a player. Um, he signed one of his, the players he had um, and uh, he was very, very confident and um, he went on obviously to be a very uh, well-known manager, a very successful career. Yeah, yeah, De Brunetti for Charlton. He was, uh, it was a great bloke to work with as well, I have to say, for me personally. Absolutely. Um, it was, um, he just asked me to come along. He said, look, between jobs, would you like to do a little bit of scouting for me just to keep an eye on certain players? He knew that I had a bit of a record for uh, discovering certain players in the lower division. So 
maybe I could have been helpful. Uh, but it was nice, and that happened quite a bit when managers yes. lose their job. Um, other managers may phone up and uh, keep them going in terms of keeping in touch with everything. Well, it's uh, a win-win, nice. really, Keith, isn't it? Because you're helping the club that you're scouting for, um, but you're also keeping yourself in the shop window, if I can use that phrase. Yes, you're keeping all your, the contacts going. You're keeping up to date with the latest players that are coming on the scene, um, and that's so very, very important. So that was lovely. Of course, being back to my old club, even in this sort of just a, an easy way, not particularly doing a lot of work, but seeing certain games uh, was very nice. And uh, short-lived. It was probably about two months at the very most. And Charlton, of course, was still, this is uh, March 91 time, um, Charlton are still very much at Sellers Park. Yes, indeed, yes. So, um, I don't think I went across there. I would be on Saturdays when Charlton were playing at their uh, away home at yeah. Selhurst Park. Um, yeah. I would be uh, looking at a few players, uh, just just on the weekends in the main. Although I did, I did have a look at Colin Walsh. I went, my longest trip was going to Middlesbrough. To see Colin Walsh, who was uh, recovering from a broken leg, and uh, he, I uh, drove up there, watched him play, and he was almost getting back to his full fitness then. So it, it was just keeping an eye on that. And the following season, he was back, back playing for us. Absolutely, and how? Yeah, um, he, he was to he was to come to the fore a little bit later as well. Um, <laughs> but um, okay, uh, so. At that time, someone who uh, worked very, very closely with Lenny and, in fact, worked closely with all of us at the club at that time, although I just left, um, was a guy called Arnie Warren, of course. And Arnie controlled the scouting in those days, didn't he? Yeah, yes, Arnie was the, the general manager um, at heading the scouting uh, department. So he had his own men doing different stuff around the country and certainly in the, the southern part of England. Um, so I got, I got to know Arnie quite well in that time. He was a forceful character. Yeah. Um, but no sooner, as I say, I've been there for a few months, and then I was uh, at the end of the season coming up, and I was just talking to Lenny um, in his uh, famous room where he had the red carpet down there. A big office for yeah, no one person, indeed. Um, and uh, there was something afoot. In, when he was talking to me um, about the possible future, which made me think, oh, maybe something's happening with Lenny. He didn't think too much about it, but soon afterwards it came out that he was moving to Middlesbrough. And, um, yeah, because I, I, I remember I was actually invited by Lenny to be on his testimonial committee. And, um, and we had one meeting at uh, Bob Bevan's offices um and uh i then got a phone call from lenny a couple of days later i think um just saying on his way up to middlesbrough he phoned me from his car phone to say um thanks but we probably won't be having a testimonial committee now um and he was on his way to sign for middlesbrough yeah and uh well of course that probably put you in the driving seat for, to replace him wouldn't it your institute you're a proven ex-manager, you're a club legend, you're in perfectly placed to replace Lenny at, at that time. 
Uh, yes, probably on paper, and certainly reading the papers at that time, were, that was the local papers speculating who would be the next manager. Um, I did have that nine years' experience as well as being out in Tampa Bay for a couple of years as assistant manager. So, I, I, you know, um, there's a very good chance perhaps that I was going to be uh, made manager. Um, but it had a funny twist to it because there was Alan Kerbishy, Steve Grit, who both put in for the job um, and came to me. They said, look, um, you know, we both put in for the job. Uh, we'll see what happens, which is fine. Um, and, of course, we, the training has started now. They need to get going to training. So we started training and a decision was made after about a week or so of training. And um, I was asked if I'd like to buy Arnie. Uh, he was the one that spoke to me first. Yeah. Would I be prepared to be manager of the reserves um, as well as in the future getting involved in the uh, scouting side of things as well? Um, as reserve team manager, I had to think about that. And I thought very hard because... Yes, is this going to be a, a job? Do I wait for another managerial job to come up? I decided this is the one club that, no, I was happy to return to um, take up, take the reserves and hopefully be of some help as a more senior person in the background to the two young managers. So we're going joint managers. Um, I mean, it was so new at the time. Before. Keith, wasn't it? The concept of joint managers, two unproven senior pros, but unproven at management level, unproven at coaching level, really. Um, it, yes. was quite a, it was quite a decision. Uh, it, was a, it was a huge decision. I've got to say, and I'll be quite honest, I thought, joint managers, this is not going to work. This is it. Hmm. The came as a surprise. All right, I'd accepted my situation there, and I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, and I thought that this, I don't see how this can work. However, I was completely wrong. Yeah, three years or so that Alan and Chrissy worked together, they really dovetailed so well. Yes, Chrissy did a lot of stuff that probably Curves wasn't happy with doing, and vice versa. Curves would be there, uh, more vociferous in many ways, and. They, it worked perfectly as a trio. I'd like to no, think. as a trio. But um, I, you know, thinking about it, it was quite clever by Arnie and and obviously uh, Roger Alwyn, chairman at the time. It was quite clever because you were you were there ready in case it fell apart, weren't you? You you were the senior guy. You were on the books. You were reserve team manager. So if this gamble hadn't worked, you, you were there, weren't you? Yeah, I suppose that's always there, probably in the background. It's nice to have someone that can fill in, and uh, whether it's short time or longer time. Um, and but I didn't realise at the time that um, I would do that. But in uh, for two games, about twenty years on, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. You had a long apprenticeship for that one. <laughs> a long apprenticeship. They thought I was ready to actually make the grade as a manager by then. Yeah, I was ready. Went by sixes. Yes, one match, wasn't it, Keith? <laughs> Sorry, one match, wasn't it? It was uh, no. Don't underestimate my uh, managerial <laughs> powers. Um, I was brought back in after um, Parkinson and, and Parkinson oh, yeah. him had been sacked. Uh, we lost five two. I think it was at home to Swindon. 
Um, and I was asked the following day if I would actually take the team, and I had been just as an associate director. Um, but that's, that was then, and Tottenham Hotspur away in the Cup, which we yeah. lost, but we never had a great Cup record, but from yeah. 1947, um, 46 as well. Um, and uh, the league game at 2 2 draw at Sheffield Wednesday. So I was, my record stands undefeated in the league. <laughs> yeah, all right. Okay. <laughs> I stand corrected. Right, we'll go, we'll go back to the 90s now. Lisa. Yeah, back, back to the 90s. But it, it was. It was good. It, it worked well, and as I was saying... Oh, no, it worked so well. And, um, uh, and of course, plans at this time now will be for us to leave Sellers Park and start start at West Ham United, Upton Park. Yes, that, our first game, I think, was against Newcastle. And, um, yes, it, it went well. And through those early years, what happened, and, and this is where uh, Gritty and... Curbs did ever so well. They, like most managers do, when they get into a, a new job, they go with tried and trusted people. And, yes. And we got in players, and, and it was down to them, certainly in the main, um, at, the, at this point. Arnie had a bit of say, I'm sure, at that time. Mm-hmm. But we had people like Gary Nelson came in the building. Gatting, Bumstead, Alan Pardew. Yeah, all senior senior players, proven players. That's yeah. right. They were steady. They were sound. Um, I think more to the point, Keith. Possibly, we've we've heard a lot about there are Charlton per. Mm. I think each one of these were Charlton people at the time. You know, they took on that mantle, didn't they? They slotted into that. What the club was about. Yes, and because of the type of characters they were, and don't forget they joined just like um, Simon Webster, who was there, yes. Carl yes. Leeburn, who was a, such an influence. Probably you'd hope he'd score more goals, but he scored a, a good number of goals, and the players, the players love playing with him, especially if you're an attacking uh, midfielder or a yes. forward like Gary Nelson. Yeah. Yeah. Scott Minto, of course, had young Scott Minto in the team. Who was going on to become an excellent player? So it was a yeah, it was a good mix of experienced players, but um, to be successful, you need a really good balance of experience and talented young players. And we certainly had some talent coming through at that time. Uh, that you were reserve team manager, Steve and Alan in charge. Players you just mentioned, Scott Minto, but Anthony Barnes came through. Darren Pitcher, of course. Uh, Robert Lee was still there. Uh, uh, a, a huge one. He unfortunately didn't get back to. We were at West Ham. I think he scored the first goal in that first game. Robert Lee, and probably one of the most outstanding players that um, I've had over the years. Um, mm. And I, I, I never expected him, quite honestly, to go as high as he did in terms of international honours. Uh, but he was an excellent player. And you say that, Keith? Well, no. People often say afterwards. You know, we all like to say, "Oh, well." Or this, but I knew he was, you know, I knew Cascarino was going to pay for Scott uh, Island or whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, but sometimes they, you can get carried. I would say I thought and recommended him, obviously, that he was a very good player um, and could play in the Premiership. And But I probably didn't see the heights he could go to. Loved working with him in training and watching him play. Um, 
And unfortunately, from his point of view, he he was there for the West Ham days, but um, didn't get back to the valley. We had to sell him before that. Yeah. Well, and, and that's exactly the right term. We had him. We needed the money um, to make that move back to the valley, and uh, we were just short of the money. And Robert had to be sold. And uh, I remember him telling the story at the recent Q and A that we had that he. He really didn't want to go north. Lenny was for him as Middlesbrough manager, wasn't he? Um, uh, and then Keegan came onto the scene and, and took him to Newcastle, and the rest is history. Yes, um, I got a phone call from Gavin, and he's with Kevin Keegan, and that, that saw uh, on the, one of the newspaper posters that Robert Lee was going to sign for Middlesbrough. Kevin jumped straight on that and made sure that uh, if he was coming north, going north, he would go to Newcastle. Once you have a conversation with Kevin Keegan, uh, 99% of the time you'll end up wanting to do yes. uh, or join him because he was exceptional. Yeah, yeah. He went on to have a great career. So um, but let's go back to Curbs and, and, and uh, Grissy, what they're doing there. They're bringing in these characters. And I know you did it at, um, when you took over at Gillingham. You brought in players that you were comfortable with, that you knew... You knew what you could get out of them. You knew how, how they would play for you. Well, that's what Curbs did with Gatting and Nelson, of course, coming from Brighton. Yes, players that he knew he'd worked with. He knew he'd asked him Gatting at the back. He had a, 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 a travelling footballer in Gary Nelson who worked his socks off. No one covered more ground than this man. Um he didn't have flash tricks of uh, a lot of strikers that could do step overs and drag backs, but um, whoever's playing alongside the side alongside him really appreciated his work rate and his ability to score or make goals. And particularly Gary, who's you know Gary has become just uh, um, a Charlton great, hasn't he? He's become such a popular figure. Um, a, through his performances for Charlton and played in the first game back at the Valley as we'll talk, talk about later but um, just gone on to be a Charlton legend really hasn't he? He has yeah, and that's difficult to do it's, it's right at the end of your career when you, you come to you know, he came to us to, for those few seasons but he's remained with us through other things Vets which we'll probably go on and talk about later on Yeah He joined the Vets was a, a great part of the Vets team, and um, that was that was all part of this uh, Charlton feeling that built up so quickly among the players that we've already mentioned, and, and many, many more. I mean, we haven't even yes. mentioned Steve Brown. He was just a youngster then, had a very bad knee operation. But well, yeah, Steve. Uh, uh, Steve was an apprentice. I was at Charlton at Sellers Park, and he had a very bad knee injury, um, and did what? Yeah. Uh, that's, um, now, someone like uh, Sig Brown never gets the credit for... Uh, he scored just a few goals in his career uh, and often was a little bit in and out of the side when new signings were made over the years, but he battled away and he saved... Uh, he would save, I'd say, oh, six or seven goals a season yes. by last-ditch tackles that were going to be goals that sometimes weren't noticed by the fans he threw his body in the way of these would-be goals against us. So, although he didn't score too many, he saved at least six or seven. 
that was worth scoring. No, uh, Steve, Steve is, is, again, is another hugely popular player, for, uh, and, and rightly so. Um, and football fans do appreciate that player who gives 100% every game. They might not have the ability or, or the they might not be able to score the goals or they might not be flashy in any way, but they, you know exactly what they're going to give to you in that team, don't you? Players like Steve Brown. Yes, you, that becomes the backbone of, of teams and the, the desire to win inspires the players who have got more flair around them. But Brownie was a very, though perhaps he was, there were quicker centre-halves than him, and he could also play, play full going goal. But, uh, <laughs> and also in goal, West yeah. Ham, the West Ham days, you know, it's for one half seasons. Yes. Um, I know people who have perhaps, well, are we really going to act to the Valley? But um, I knew, you know, behind the scenes we would. Unfortunately, we sold um, Robert and he didn't get the chance to score the first goal of the Valley. But, of course, someone else did. Well, absolutely. So, we sell Robert. We we now know we are going back to the Valley. And uh, and the excitement around that time was tangible, wasn't it? You could feel it, couldn't you? Um, I mean, I was at the Football League then, but I, even... I, even away from the club, you could just feel it in football that people were, football people in general were just pleased that Charlton were going back to the Valley and appreciated the huge story behind it and the supporters and the commitment of the board and just everyone. I mean, everyone in football was willing Charlton on at that time, weren't they? Absolutely. Uh, it was a marvellous time. Uh, um, emotional. The, the, yeah. The thing what the the Charlton fans did um, and those who were really close to it got that special day where it all went through with the Greenwich Council etc um, it, it, it was wonderful and um, to actually walk back onto the turf uh, even though from my point of view I was uh, no longer a player um, but for the players themselves who had for the first time going that, out on that valley out on the valley soil was uh, terrific. Even though there were Porter cabins around, yeah, very Porter cabin city, wasn't it? Really, the atmosphere around the club, the build-up going into those weeks just before we knew we were going to play back again at the valley. But I think Keith, that we should say, especially here, about the huge commitment that the supporters gave. I mean, at that time. It was incredible what the fans were doing, wasn't it? You know, the build-up to it, the, the commitment they showed, the dedication, the the passion to get the Valley Party going and, and to contest contest local elections. And and then the, and they put their hands in the pocket because Robert Lee wasn't... He, we needed extra finance and, of course, the fans dipped their hands in the pocket once again and came up with a Valley investment plan and they, they bought their season tickets. It's just an incredible commitment at that time, Keith, wasn't it? It was. And of course, in the, the late 80s and right at the beginning of the 90s, uh, before I got to Charlton, this was all be... I was involved elsewhere in management, so I wasn't amongst it. But seeing what the Valley Party did and the fans and what they went through and their determination, they never gave up. No. Um, which can be a great thing to have at any club you know the fans around you like you want your players to be the same way 
you never give up because no matter how bleak it looks, you keep going and sometimes you can turn the whole thing around. And that's what they did. And uh, they would never be, they should never be forgotten. But I know that that message, you know, the the work of the club and the work of the fans and the commitment of the board at that time, that uh, I know that they that got through to the players by yourself and, and Curbs and, and Gritty, that, um, you know, the players weren't distant from that at all. The players were all very close to what was going on at the time, weren't they? Yes, we were making a, a new start in the history of the club after being away for you know so many years, and with uh, had great directors at the time and Roger leading there. Yeah, Martin Simons uh, and so Richard Murray obviously, and so many others uh, backing up. It. Mike Stevens from uh, always in touch from America, and uh, no, it was it was very special. It was an emotional day. I, from my point of view. Um, obviously, I was in the dressing room beforehand, um, Curves and Gritty organising the, the whole thing in terms of picking the team, and he left a couple of players out who were rather disappointed. I spent most of my time before the, the kick-off uh, chatting to both Alan Pardew and um, a little bit with John Bumstead, who have both been left out of this big game. And right, let's... Well, let's let's talk about this. So we we now we now know we're playing Portsmouth. We're we're in December, nineteen ninety two. We're playing Portsmouth. The the place was packed. I mean, I remember. I mean, the East Terrace you couldn't use. Uh, it was all temporary grandstands, Portic cabins. But I don't think I've ever had a, a been involved in a in an atmosphere quite like it. Uh, and so the the players, all to a man, must have wanted to have played. You know you're taking part in a historic moment. So to leave out senior players like Alan Pardew and John Bumstead, uh, that was quite a decision at that time. Yes, of course. And, and it was probably a surprise because, as you say, both those players were very much part of how well the team had been doing. But I think when I'm um, looking back at that time, the previous games... We had lost about certainly about four on the trot. Yes. Now yes. there's a saying among managers: two, three is not so good if you lose three. Four is uh, the red signs come out. If you lose five on the trot, you can lose your job. <laughs> now that wasn't going to happen to Charles because I was going to say, Keith, was was that something that was bubbling under that, that this game was a. It, it, okay, it's the first game back at the Valley, but um, we don't want to lose too many more games. Was that was was that a worry? No, not not at all. I mean, I was always close with the the directors and at that at the time. No, this was a different situation. I'm saying that any other club at that time, if you'd lost four or got, went on to lose five on the trot, yeah, no, you're right. You yeah, know, the, yep. the, you could lose your job, but yep. this was different. No one was going to lose their job, but. Boy, we wanted to win that game, and every player did, and the fans. So few were there, really, when you think about it. <laughs> 8,300 and something. Yeah. Um, but it's there, you could have had 50,000 in there. It wouldn't have made any difference. The noise they made, the passion they showed, the tears that were shed, um, yeah. it was special. The, the, the couple of, but there's always um, people who are disappointed, and as I mentioned, like... Bumps, 
Johnny Bumstead was left out and he'd be very disappointed. He scored, I think, the game before, the game before that. Um, and um, Alan Pardew was upset. Of course, Grizzy came in. Well, I was just going to say, well, uh, Steve Grit, joint manager, picked himself at right back. Um, and Darren Pitcher came in. That's right. And uh, I, I, I thought I'm storming in the office and, and uh, having the words, if Gritty's playing, I want to I wanna play. Well, I was going to say. Get on the wing. You'd want to be on the substitute bench. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, that was, uh, I was a bit, uh, that was in my 40s by then. Uh, but um, <laughs> but no, the upset because he, he really didn't see it coming. He was a bouncy character, scored lots of goals for us in his time. Uh, with us and a wholehearted player um, but uh, these things happen and it was the right choice that they've made the right choice it's improved we, we won 1-0 and that goal scored by Walsh will live on forever and ever absolutely it will absolutely it will it's an incredible time and uh, Brian Brian Moore was bless him was commentating so Brian who, who you knew from Gillingham obviously Brian Moore's uh, yes he was doing the commentary that day and quite a, quite a famous commentary as well. Um, so uh, we've, uh, we've won uh, Walsh's goal and uh, we're back now at the Valley. So the work is now on to establish ourselves at the Valley and grow the, grow the ground. Um, we were never really in relegation trouble at any time, though, were we, around that time? No, the, for the next few years, um, we, we were steady, and that's that they steadied the ship, you know, Curbs, Goody, steadied the ship. We lost Arnie Warren at that time. He was ill. Yeah. And uh, came away from the club and, and was never able to come back. And in, in a way, that helped um, probably Curbs and Gritty to do their own thing completely, because that happened quite early on, and they were able to, you know, they couldn't, turn to or have to get permission for things from, say, Arnie to run it through the directors. No, and, you know, I love him the bits. Arnie was uh, a bit of a control freak in a lot of ways, yeah. bless him. Um, yeah, he's done very well. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah uh, he was certainly a big influence on my career. I doubt whether I'd have stayed in football as long if I hadn't had Arnie Warren as my general manager when I first came in. Um, he has so many contacts as well in the game. Oh, uh, uh, 100%. 100%. So, um, here you are. Uh, we're back at the Valley. Uh, Steve and Alan are doing are doing well. Um, we're holding our own. Um, and you're, you started to introduce a few more team bonding type things as well, didn't you, at the club around that time in your, in your reserve team manager, but you're sort of Support role, I suppose. But you, you played a big role in keeping the morale and keeping the team bonding going. I remember. I, I like to think so. So it was completely different. Remember, for me, after you've been manager and this new new position, yeah. Uh, but back up my my club and my the whole yeah. groups were. So yeah. it was special. Every day was a joy just to go in. Uh, to the club, I had my team in the in terms of the managing the reserves. But there are, there'll be other things where I, I, I thought, well, the players, we didn't have the money to go off to Spain and Portugal and all of that in those days, no. so much. So we, 
you know, I, I tried to do things maybe that were just a bit different, a bit of fun. You know, every Friday we'd have a yellow jersey where someone would end up having to wear the yellow jersey for doing something ridiculously poor, silly, or making a, a bit of a howl on the pitch, which became uh, quite the thing. The players looked forward to it. Um, well, it's something you established in the Vets teams as well when we went away as well, because I won it a couple of times. <laughs> and you should have won it a lot more. Too. I should have, I should have. <laughs> but, but you're right, King. I mean, it, great bit of fun, really. I mean, you know, you're, you, as you say, someone who did something silly or, or, or something stupid at a training session. But it was all part of your strategy, really, wasn't it? It was. It was something that I, I thought was a, a good thing to keep everyone. Once again, they were all, you know, most of them all good characters. If anyone was just thinking that they were better than the other, they were soon brought down by no. They wear that yellow jersey, and nobody could refuse it. Yeah, um, it became more difficult um, as we went into the Premiership, but this year was great. Everyone took it in the right spirit. Um, and it, even in one day, you're just thinking of different things to do. Because uh, remember, then I we had no um, warm up coaches and things like that. Um, I, I would take the warm up, and so yeah. sometimes I'd throw it to Alex Dyer. You know, things were a bit down with loss. Alex was a real character. Yes, Alex, take the warm up this morning. He knew all the different things to do. He would be a different voice. He'd be lively and have people in hysterics with one or two things that he did. Um, so you just changed it around like that. But one day I, I walked actually into the gymnasium, which I'd often work with players after training, um, and someone was doing a, a few of these dips, like Brian Jacks used to do, he became a super, one of the superstars. Well, it was the BBC superstars, wasn't it? He was the judo, judo champion. That, that's right. The winning every series, didn't he, Brian Jacks? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, he's uh, incredible on these, these dips on the like the parallel bars, but we had a smaller addition um, and one of the young players were doing these dips and um, I just declared myself that I'm the champion of doing dips, just for a laugh to see. And a few of them responded, oh, I know that you couldn't beat us because I'm now into my 40s and seeming like an old man then, um, in my mid-40s perhaps, um, you know, looking back. Next thing I know, there's a challenge that Pardew's heard about it. Um, they then say, you're champion. I said, oh, yes. No, I'm not. Self-appointed. I've never done it before. Uh, <laughs> but then they challenged uh, me. They said they had a, someone who could beat me and do more uh, dips than I could. So I said, OK, we arranged it for a couple of weeks down the line. That gave me a bit of time, really, to get in uh, some fitness work done on it. Uh, then comes the day, it, the, anyone who wants to watch this event in the gymnasium must pay £2, <laughs> which was, you know, hard to get out of players in those days. I'm sure. It wasn't easy. Everyone said they paid their money. I think the apprentices got in for half price. It was packed out. I'm now waiting in the gymnasium. John Vaughan was the first challenger coming in. Keith, now, I, should, I think we should say that... You, that they weren't paying you; they were paying. They were paying for your reserve team fund. Like, I'm glad you put that in. Yes, <laughs> it wasn't because this wasn't a money making way by yourself, was it? I wish I had, they had been paying me. That I could have done with some money. <laughs> uh, uh, they, 
this was to raise money for the reserve team um, for their Christmas party. And um, actually, it, um, it worked out very well. Uh, but John, John Fawn, massive shoulders, a goalkeeper, good goalkeeper for us. Yeah. Previously with Cambridge, he was one of the contestants. I mean, he looked fearsome and came in their main contestant as well. <laughs> and in came Limvoy Primus. But the music that came first was um, simply the... <laughs> lays out on the, the big box that they were holding there. Pardew was singing, Carl Liebham was there, Alex Dyer. They're going to win. They're, their man was going to win. So they were psyching you up with a little bit of Chris Eubanks type uh, <laughs> simple the best. Yeah. Um, and he comes in with all his seconds. Absolutely. And <laughs> obviously everyone was on the side of the players. Uh, and uh, from Vaughan set it off. Gary Nelson was in charge for that. You had to come lower, lower down as you did. You had to touch. Your Why team. am I not surprised, Keith, that Gary Nelson was in charge? <laughs> yeah. Oh, he, he <laughs> the yellow jersey and all that. He was right backed everything up like that. He yeah. was to it. But this is all, you know, the, the humour change things people can talk about rather than always on the football side of things. Yeah. John Vaughan did about 39 dips and he went down for the 40th but didn't quite touch and Nelson went no he, he had to go down again and again <laughs> he got a no he didn't quite touch now he's furious because his arms are beginning to go he had to finish there I think he was going to tear Nelson apart but no he controlled him and was taken to the side then comes Limboy uh, Primus because I did say as in the inverted commas I hadn't beaten anyone at this point um, that uh, I had the privilege of uh, being older, had the privilege of going last. <laughs> Limboy, Limboy came in, and I've got to say this, I mean, anyone that's seen Limboy stripped down, this is the perfect uh, figure of any man wants to be. Broad shoulders, powerful, no, not an ounce of, ounce of fat, and he walked up and is in an all-black outfit as well. <laughs> he took the part there. So enormous cheers from all the players he did, and he knocked out 45 dips. And Pardew now is hysterically laughing now. Can, you won't be able to beat that. Went on there. I got up to 43, but I knew I could do more. I had been doing a little bit of secret training. I knew I could do more. <laughs> I put the, the shadows on as so I'm going, and they started to, oh, yes, he's gone, he's gone, he's gone. And I pumped a few out. Got <laughs> Got to near 50, I was done. We won the money. But it was things like that we kind of, they talked about, they still bump into me, you know, in a different, and they will remind me of that particular day all these years afterwards. So it just showed coach and manager, but um, I wasn't bad, too bad on the dips. No, I'd probably still do it, Keith, knowing you. Um, but uh, but that's, you see, these are the football fans probably wouldn't get to know much about this sort of thing that was going on there, but it was all part of creating that right atmosphere, that right team bond, that, that you could laugh together as well. Um, so important in, in gelling a, 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 an effective team together as well, isn't it? It is. I think a team comes together in many ways, and everyone has a different way of doing it. And um, this sort of thing, 
helped just to break the monotony of every because you're training for 10 months you're together you know you need different things to happen and yeah. even players were getting older as we moved through the 90s into the mid 90s people like Gary Nelson would be getting too old to play but they could go into what was formed at the vet team Hey I'm Ryan Reynolds recently I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts they said what the f- are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. And uh, around this time, obviously, the, the veterans team that you, you instigated um, uh, and really kept a lot of those players who were coming to the end of their careers probably have moved on some of them as well, but um, they were Charlton people and you formed them into the Charlton veterans. And uh, I had the pleasure of getting involved in as well. But this is also when a person called Peter Varney first came to the fore as well, isn't it? Yes, that's the first. I say the first time I met him um, was when we were organising a game. He had asked me to get a team together um, and we... And we were going to play against Millwall at the Valley. Um, and he was working for the British Brain and Spine Organisation. Well, a little background on that, of course, is, is that all started through um, Steve Gritt's daughter. Um, yes. Who had, uh, who had a brain uh, problem and yeah. um, brain cancer. And um, that's how that charity started. Um, and Peter got involved and became the general manager of that charity, I think. Yes, he, he did so well. I mean, I got the teams together, which uh, was, was great. Everyone was willing and happy to play it. That was the first time Derek Hales came back. And it was the game was at the Valley on a Sunday. We had great support from people like John Hayes, John Humphrey, so many people around the yeah. country um, at, at that time. So it was... It was a wonderful thing to be able to raise money, and particularly because of uh, Stevie Gritt's connection with his daughter. Yes. Um, but it just showed you the, uh, the, the ex- not the excitement, the, um, the thoughts of the, players, the former players. The, the forward line was, uh, at that time, we, could, we had the same forward line. We had Powell on the right. We had... Flanagan and Hales up front, myself on the left. Yes. And so it went another other players playing that day, and Gritty himself, obviously. And um, yeah, it had nearly 5,000 people to see this game. Well, I, I uh, had the great pleasure of being asked to put um, a celebrity game together before that one. Uh, so, because uh, 
I was then at the Football League running the uh, Football League's celebrity matches before our cup finals. And uh, so along came to that day people like Ray Winston and Chris Evans and and the like. And, uh, yeah, I, Ray and I actually played in the Millwall team preceding your game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it was an unbelievable attendance for a, for a, for a charity match. It was yeah. an unbelievable yeah. attendance. Yeah, but all his mafia friends and Ray Winston, the past he plays, uh, <laughs> yeah, they, they all turn <laughs> so, uh, so let's move this forward now, uh, Keith. And when, when did you, or did you even get wind of the fact we might be moving away from the joint manager approach? Well, I, I really didn't. It was a complete surprise to me, um, and uh, it, because we were going along steadily, we were having to sell players to keep going. However, the team was solid, never in any doubt of being in the relegation situation. Um, and this was a decision made by the board. And obviously, it proved to be uh, another stepping stone forward. Uh, but Gussie did a, a terrific job. Obviously, yes, he had absolutely. problems at home with Bailey at that yeah. time. Yeah. So, uh, Alan Kirbishley becomes manager of Cholton. And... Uh, um, Les Reed comes in. Les, yes, stage. Les Reed came in from the FA at that time, Keith. Yes. Um, Les had been uh, at the FA a few years, I think. Um, and you took on the scouting as well as your reserve team manager's role at that time. Uh, yes, that's right, because Arnie had, um, had his problems. So then I was in charge of the scouting which was uh, not a, a vast amount of people. We had people like Brian Ryder, who, who was there. Ted Davis joined. Lovely guys, yeah. Formerly with QPR, I met him there. And a, a number of others that were already there. And and they they worked well. And we, we still got very good players in. And um, Brian Ryder in particular did, did a great job on the non-league level. Absolutely, and, and you know the team did well that year, um, that first year, because um, ended up in the playoffs. Yes, indeed. Unfortunately, we lost at uh, Crystal Palace, so we won't talk about that anymore. No, Let's move on. We'll, we'll, we'll move forward. <laughs> yeah. But again, we're, we're moving in the right type of direction. Uh, absolutely. So we're now into the ninety-six, ninety-seven season. So we're moving along that uh, that era. Um, and you had a huge part in the recruitment of someone who just went on to be synonymous with Chant Athletic, one Mark Kinsella. Yes, Mark became um, available at uh, that season, pre-season time. It's with Colchester. I'd seen him play a few times when I was uh, manager at Gillingham and Mason. Uh, really thought he was a good player. We, we got him in for a week. Uh, and um, Well, from the first day, I thought, well, we must sign him. But it didn't quite happen for whatever reason. The week came to an end. I'm assuming we're signing him for at least about three years. Uh, and uh, But nothing happened. And um, he went off. And I, I actually, Kerb said, oh, I'd like just to see Kins 
this coming Saturday because he's playing for Colchester in the pre-season friendly or whatever. And I, I did say to him, I said, but there's just no point because I don't care if he trips over the ball every time he gets hold of it. He misses five goals. Can't pass <laughs> anyone on his own side. I fancy and I'll never change on. Um, that's how strong Why do you felt. think there was a reticence to sign him when, when you had him in your... In yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure of that. Um, probably they were looking for maybe someone different in terms of his pace. So, you know, pace was becoming a big thing. He wasn't a pacey sort of player, but he had a great brain. He was a leader of men on that field. Yes. In, uh, he led by example. But anyway, the, the, the whole thing, what happened after that was Gillingham came in and we then acted... And we paid out 150,000 to 100%, something like that mm. for him. Uh, perhaps, perhaps it was easy and that we didn't have too much money in the bank at that time, perhaps, to do that sort of thing. But it was proved to be an exceptionally good signing, as we all know. Oh, that's absolutely incredible player for Charles. But uh, we mentioned him earlier, but. Uh, he comes to the, he comes to the notice of uh, Richard Murray and, and the board through his work with the uh, British Brain and Spine Foundation and the veterans teams and Peter Barney comes in as general manager. Yes, which was a, a crucial move. Um, Peter was uh, so he had he, he, with Peter when he came to the building. He he saw you just pass him on over to. Curves and I go, oh, oh, dear, oh, Barney. <laughs> <laughs> the awkward ones where he's falling ones as such, but around the football, um, um, really, we didn't want to deal with that sort of thing. And he took it right away and dealt with those with the board um, and made a big part. And raising money, uh, he was absolutely phenomenal the way he, he raised the money to help us buy players. And that season, the season after we got Kinsella, um, was the season where it all started taking off and he played an even bigger role then, yeah. Yeah. I was before with the British Pain and Spine but uh, obviously back to work with him uh, a little bit later on in, in, in my career but uh, and work with the club, but no, he, he, he was a, a brilliant signing at the right time because it, it gave us that that professionalism uh, on the management side. Uh, you know, the administration of the club, not the team management, the administration of the club and uh, brilliant with fundraising. And as you say, a very, very good person. And, um, and again, we started to bring in great characters so talk to me about talk to me about building that team in the ninety seven ninety eight season. Key some of the players that we brought in who who were superb for us and played growing in, in getting us to the playoff final that year. Well, the obvious one that came right at the beginning of the year and Curbs' biggest sign, I would say, in many many ways, uh, particularly when you think about the time, Clive Duncan. Yes, I'm not sure if you've heard him this but um, yeah. not a bad goal scorer. No, um, Curbs did terrific to actually get him to sign because I think 
Sunderland were in for him at the time and he convinced him to come to, to and, Charlton. And that must have been a huge piece of uh, negotiation because Clive, as, as we all know, famously, is a Sunderland fan. Yeah. And he was playing for Grimsby at the time. So to get the opportunity to go and play for your boyhood club and yet he chose to... Yes, it, it was just a, a, a key move. You can see we were building for the future um, and uh, he was the first big signing. But probably a crucial signing, but there, I thought there were three crucial signs, apart from the, the players we had already at the club now, mm -hmm. solid sound players. Um, Mark Bowen came in, he did very well for us. Yes. But then come the... Time round about February, March. I think we, it was a late, later window, transfer window in those days. Mm -hmm. um, I may be wrong, but I thought Timothy was a little bit later. But anyway, players that came in, Brighty came in just before, and Brighty, although well, he was never quick, but he what a clever player though, but so clever. He was a magnificent header of the ball. Yes, he had all the little touches. He knew when to just put his shoulder into someone, which went to buy a free kick. Uh, and he was a he, dominating player. He is a very, very, very good player. Yeah. Yeah. A superb yeah. career. And we got him at the right time. But if I may say, he, he was a debt as well, wasn't he? In a, in a football capacity, he knew, he knew the game. Oh, he, he yeah, knew the game inside out. And what, what he did... A, of the young players kind of followed him around a little bit um, and uh, he had big influence on them and he would put them in order you know if, if anyone knocked, knocked him about in training um, he, he would show them what uh, toughness <laughs> was made of John Fulton did that once and um, smashed him in the air and I oh I don't like that the day said it was John <laughs> these things happen in football but Fulch learned many things I think through someone like Mark Wright as well yeah and absolutely became, became a good centre half in the end well, and, yeah. well let's so, talk about that, some that of those other players Keith like around that time that you you alluded to so Clive had come in um, huge signing for us you yes. mentioned Mark Bowen you yes. mentioned Mark Wright yes. other people came in with uh, Danny Mills well there were yeah. two Two crucial ones that came in as the latest signings um, that that gave us that shot in the arm that you always need. Any of the, most of the teams that go for promote just about that February March time need someone or two in and be real top players. You could say could make a difference. And in came Kenny Mills and Eddie Owls. Yes, and that, that helped. And also we had a goalkeeper who came from nowhere. Sasha Illich. I mean, it's quite an incredible story, Sasha's story, isn't it? And you played a big, huge role in that as well. Well, yeah, I mean, I hadn't seen him. I just got a phone call from a director, Mike Stevens, who yes. said, oh, and he'd keep in contact because I've been out to America and lived there for a few years. Uh, he automatically contacted me and said, can you just have a look at this fellow? Is that Hastings? <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, blimey. Is that Hastings? <laughs> but he's supposed to be good and it's a, I'm passing on this recommendation Sasha came in the building 
he, he trained with us. I was mainly trained. We didn't have a goalkeeping coach then as such. And um, I was I'd work with him uh, every day. And he was uh, a tremendous appetite for working hard, diving all over the players, place uh, in training. Um, but he couldn't get into the reserve side because we had too many goalkeepers at the time. We had Pedersen and Salmon. Yes. Um, but what happened, he went off. I got him a game at Welling. He played two games for Welling. He was outstanding, which was just as well. I'd phoned him up saying, you must do your very best. Because he was a bit down. He thought, oh, I've come here. I'm ending up going on. And he just, we loaned him out there. He got in the reserve side. Steve, he just so well. He, he kept clean sheet after clean sheet. It was quite incredible. And he would come out for some outrageous things. But I'd just say to my centre-halves, look, as soon as you see him coming, just get back on the line and uh, defend the, the goal line. Like Lawrence and um, Hansen used to do for Grobola. Yes. Grobola wouldn't always catch those balls that came across. But he, he did terrific. His confidence was through. He got in the team because Sam got injured. And... Um, then I think he kept eight or nine sheets before going into the playoffs. Well, remember there was sort of this uh, this this feeling, and I'm sure I'm not alone uh, in feeling this way that uh, Charlton couldn't let her go in, that Sasha couldn't be beaten. I mean, it was an incredible run of no one scoring against us. No, it, it, you just have to look back. It was about eight or nine games, both obviously against Ipswich. We won one nil away from home. 1-0 at home, was it 1-0 or 2-0, 1-0 at home, mm-hmm. um, uh, to get, so we're thinking as we're playing, you know, we get to the final, one goal, no, no. <laughs> I'm no, never well, very well, good at it could have been more wrong, now, so uh, talk to me a little bit about the build up to that, so we're, we're now going, we're now going to Wembley, and, uh, we're, we're now one game away from um, being in the Premier League, uh, which had been going a, a few seasons at that point, started in '92. The Premier League. So this is our this is our chance to go into the Premier League. Uh, talk to me about the build up at that time, Keith. When you saying what actually on the day? Well, yeah, on the day, or just um, the pressure, the huge pressure, curbs yourself. Um, did you feel that this was a huge opportunity for the club to establish itself uh, and, and to kick on after getting back to the Valley and getting into the Premier League will help us kick on even further? Was there big pressure on you guys? Well, I don't think there was so much um, because, I mean, there's always pressure to win, but we were not the favourite. Some of them had been at the top there, I think, for quite some time or thereabouts. They looked certainty to get promotion. And they just lost it. We were on a run, mm. as we said, not conceding goals, winning game. We were very, very confident. So we were in a good position. And and the favourites were Sunderland. Well, they had uh, Phillips and Quinn up front, of course, didn't they? Absolutely. Um, the uh, Toshak Keegan type of uh, situation there. And they, they were two the best striking two you could think of at that time. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we're going into that game. We're at Wembley. 
Oh, this, no, this is the old Wembley, of course. We're going into that that game at Wembley just as a, an aside. Actually, was my last ever football match as a, a, a football league employee because I'd agreed to join Swin not long after. Oh, right. yeah. So, um, my last occasion as a as league employee, my last Wembley final, was my team, was Charlton. So, it was a huge, huge thing. Huge day, and but a special day for me personally as well. So, um, here we are. We are invincible. We hadn't let a goal in, and we go one nil up, Keith. All over, isn't it? It's all over. All over. We're not going to concede. No one can beat Sasha at this stage. No. Um, yeah, even though they've got a, a fearsome strike, pair of strikers. Um, it, it seemed that what happened after that was just incredible. Um, one of the great games of all time at Wembley, uh, certainly in Chelsea's history. Uh, Mendonca, the hero, uh, but so many players played a great part. That those who came on as subs, and it was well, just... everyone played their role, didn't they? The subs all contributed to to the success of the day. Whether that was John Robinson's corner for Richard Rufus's first goal, or whether Steve Brown's crunching tackle. Um, Steve Jones's cross. I mean, everyone played a part, didn't they? They did, and for Richard Rufus to score, it, that was his first goal, and he played about a hundred games by then. Yeah, um, and hadn't scored a goal. Nice one to start the occasion by <laughs> goal ever is at Wembley. So, and I remember, I remember in one of the Q and A's, we said uh, that the the thinking was their goalkeeper would come for for the ball. So. To make him come for it, the corner was taken a certain way by John. Yes, but the actual crucial thing that happened was that Mark Bright cleverly just took out the keeper in an almost an unseen way. He just blocked him from getting the ball and being able to get the fist to it. And, yeah. and that, was, that was his know-how, you know. It was typical of Brighty what he perhaps noticed it too much, but when you watch the replay, yeah, what he did and, and put it into what was more or less the empty net in terms of the goalkeeper. Absolutely. So let's let's kick it forward now. We know we've had a huge hat trick. Each goal was class from from Clive Mendonca, um, but we're now in the penalties, and and uh, I know famously. Kurtz couldn't look when it was just... I mean, no, no one was giving any quarter. They were all going in, weren't they? I know. Well, we'd had 13, was it 13 uh, penalties and they just kept going in, going in. Um, Kurtz said, well, I, I'm not going to look at the next one. Uh, yeah. And he put his hands across his uh, face. And uh, as he did that, the rest is history. Gray, well, you can say it was saved as a group. Great save from Sasha. Uh, and, of course, uh, he became a hero. Not that... He, I mean, he let how many goals that he had in that day? Ten. I know six were penalties, but... <laughs> he let ten goals in, yeah. but he was our hero. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but what he did before, <laughs> what he did before to get us there was... Uh, uh, yeah. Absolutely fantastic. It, it, Sasha came up with this cock and ball story about a 2 pp the Q&A we had recently. <laughs> that's how he decided he did 
this coin that we found in the go area or something. Um, and we're all saying, don't be silly, that's nonsense. But he stuck to his story. Yes, it's the first time I heard it was at that uh, Q&A. Which is suspicious of itself. Yeah, um, <laughs> I mean, it's in my soup that day. But anyway, he, he's always a character, still is, and he's very good about coming over and at any opportunity to support Charlton. They, they were his best days, obviously. And that would be a huge day for him. And, uh, and, you know, promoted in, in, into the into the Premier League. Yeah. Uh, happened. Uh, the hero meant all of us stayed out to the... We kept having to... We kept going to the fans and waving to them, etc. We'd been asked to stay out as long as possible so that Sunderland uh, fans could go. Yeah, it's just about empty. The last one's coming off, strangely enough, was me because I was worn out. And Mendonca, who is still being clapped by our fans, is, is going towards the other end. Hmm. And there were just a few supporters there. They're about five. And they they were really nasty to Clive, you know, shouting about being a traitor and all this. And, right, and yeah. It really upset like that, you know, mm. greatest day in his life, and something like that can ruin it for a while. Um, yeah, so when we got in the dressing room, it was no great celebrations, I think everyone was totally shattered. <laughs> it's fairly quiet in there. I, I could, well, I can imagine, I can imagine, and the enormity of what Charlton had achieved, you know, just a few short years after having to sell our best player to get to uh, get back to the valley. Um, playing in front of a park, park, port cabin, park, temporary structure stadium. Um, here we are, winning at Wembley and getting into the Premier League. I mean, it's, it, it, it's a, it is a fairy tale story in a lot of ways, Keith, isn't it? Yeah, it was a, a real, and I'm thinking of the fans we're seeing as we're coming out of the stadium, we're going to the reception. They were sitting about normally. I was walking along, I think, uh, Clive and a few other the players. And normally people were jumping up for autographs and that. They were sitting on walls and lying on the floor. <laughs> totally exhausted. Yeah. 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 Everyone was yeah. mentally drained. They were mentally drained. They were all mentally drained. It's a, it was a long, long day um, through penalties and everything. But uh, what a sensational day. And something at that time then... I think everyone's minds, and particularly those long faithful ones that had helped in the 80s and the beginning of the night to get Charlton back to yeah. the valley yeah. and now see us at Wembley. And, and, um, the, the fans who, who never gave gave up, who never boycotted at Sellers Park, who, who, who put up with coming over, Supporting us at Sellers Park to keep the club alive, help keep the club alive. Mm. All got their rewards in that one day. Absolutely. Um, so, but it also it was a momentous day, but it was also last day uh, of um, Les Reed's career at Cheltenham because he's accepted a role to go back to the FA. Hadn't he? Yes, uh, it started in the FA, and he was a very fake coach and, and did well for us. It's very uh, studious the way he put sessions on. Um, he's had a bit of a, a scare with a, 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 a bleed in his head at one stage. Yes, yes I remember. 
because he walked off the field this day and he was in terrible pain. Jim Hendry did a great job getting him so quickly to the right people in the hospital. Mm. Mm. He recovered fully from that, but uh, a frightening moment for him. Yes. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it being in the professional game is, uh, you know, on the front line is a bit different. And I think he was happy to go back to the FA in those yes. days. Yes. Well, and this is when um, Alan um, brought in Mervyn, Mervyn, the first team coach, and your role changed. You became assistant manager, too. Yes, we're now the, the bigger club immediately because we're in the Premiership. It's a three-man job, you could say, um, because especially with the amount of now, I mean, Curbs is obviously a fantastic job. Um made some crucial decisions and the right decisions to get as far as we had. We've already said how important Peter Varney was yes. raising money Yes, people he was knowing he was, and raised money for the likes of Mills and Eddie Owls and people like that to give us that final push. And um, yes, we were, we were now, things would never quite be the same after that for Charlton because... Um, our first pre-season in Ireland, and um, everyone knew. Curbs now suddenly couldn't go anywhere without being recognised. No. Everyone in the country now. I, I noticed the change immediately. That not in him. He was just a sub. But he really, everyone just knew him. became extremely famous. On yes. The, the yeah. Well, OK, we're now in the last year of, uh, of the... Um, Decade, um, and we're playing. We're playing in the the Premier League, uh, ninety-eight, ninety-nine season. You had the change of the management uh, structure. Les had left. Mervyn had come in. You stepped up to assistant manager, and we we had a we gave a, we gave it a good go that first year, Keith, didn't we? I I thought we. Although we were relegated, we were went down with honour. Yes, with yes. pride. That it was incredible that season. It really was. I mean, for us to to do so well, we started off with a nil-nil draw against Newcastle. I think it was, and we went down to ten men. Yes, and yet we still. Nil-nil in front of fifty odd thousand Newcastle fans, and um, then I think the first home game, or virtually the first home game, we beat Southampton five nil. Man, Donga hat trick again. He, he liked getting the hat trick. He, he certainly did. Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't see personally see much of that season because uh, it was the season I I spent um, at Swindon Town, so um, I didn't get personally to see that few of the away games um, but uh, at one point after that 5-0 of the league <laughs> I can't remember kept putting, uh, turning the uh, league table the other way up thinking we should be bottom but um, no we, we, did, we had such a good start yeah really 5-0 drawing away from home and conceded the goal then and I think we drew against Arsenal um after that as well so yeah yes a steady start there because we were good we were honest um 
we're building a few players then and they just strengthened us a little bit more. Um, and we very well, nearly, we, we got right to the end of the season without whip through the season. We got right to the end. Uh, the penultimate game, we were at Phillips Park and we're still in there with a chance of staying up. Yes, I was actually at that game, but uh, we, we still had a mathematical chance of staying up, didn't we, at that point? Yes. Now, the other team that were in relegation trouble was Southampton. Yes. And, you know, they... they We want them to go down. We want them to, to lose, you know. And, and you, you sent a scout there. Yes, Alan Pardew was uh, had finished at the club and uh, he was doing a bit of scouting and he went to the Wimbledon game against Southampton just to keep us in touch. We are on the, the phone yeah. with each other, keeping in touch. So we, we need to know, well, if, if they win, if, if uh, Wimbledon win, then we're in... Uh, if Southampton beat Wimbledon, we're in trouble. Yeah. We have to win to stay alive, and that's what happened. Steve Brown had to go on the field as um, goalkeeper because Peterson was sent off. Yes. If I remember correctly, he was sent off, wasn't he? Yes. I think so, yes. Yeah. Um, it was all a blur. There was so much going on that day. Brown was going on. Oh, he was to go on that field that day. And I don't blame. It's such a crucial game. It's 3-3. On goes Brownie. As Brownie goes on, the scoreline at Southampton Wimbledon game, uh, Wimbledon were now two nil down. They scored two quick goals. We had to win. Yes, and trying to get that message with all the noise going on. A draw was no longer longer any good. We had to win. And, and of course, the history says Danny Mills stepped up, took a free kick. I think it's about the only goal he scored for us, maybe. Um, and buried it though, didn't he? We lived to fight another day. And that, day. and that another day was uh, an all or nothing game on the last day of the season against Sheffield Wednesday. Yes. And it, and it proved to be, in a way, a little bit of a damp squid because of what happened. Um, Southampton, I think, uh, got a goal fairly early on and we were going to be in trouble. And Sheffield Wednesday scored a late goal, but we were virtually down then. Yes. Uh, and although the disappointment was immense, because we still believed we could somehow pull it off, um, and we walked round to clap the crowd, and the crowd were incredible. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I had a friend from America who was over, and he couldn't believe. He said, but, but I, I can't. What's going on? You've lost. You've been relegated. You'll be shouted and yelled at in America. He said, he said your crowd... Was he Welsh, Keith? Yes. I, I'm glad you, my Welsh accent came over so well. <laughs> it's not usually that good. <laughs> you should hear my American accent. <laughs> no, no, I think I forego that. Yeah. Um, uh, apologies to anyone who may be listening. Um, <laughs> No, but it was a strange situation when you're being relegated and you're, everyone stands up, stays to the end, claps you off the field. They knew that every one of the players 
and the, the board members, everyone had given their heart uh, and soul to trying to keep us up. Absolutely. And, and, uh, and I think this is a good place for us to sort of uh, bring the 90s to an end um, because uh, at that time uh, we'd given it a good go. Uh, we'd had a, a very, very good first year in the Premier League. Sadly, we had to get relegated, um, but we had strong resolve around the club at that time to actually keep our best players. We're going to add to them and we're going to, we're going to give it a good go back up there as soon as we can. Uh, and uh, and that's what we did the next season, of course. We did indeed. And uh, although we just touched on it a little bit, uh, it was the Vets team going at that time. So you can imagine we were getting good youngsters coming through. Yeah. Scotty Pocket and Chesky were on the verge. Lisby was just there with John Fortune. Um, and Lee Bowyer, we haven't even mentioned Lee Bowyer during this. Oh, season. no, of course not. Fantastic yeah. player. Yeah. He was delight to train. He would make an average session come alight. Yeah. A bit like Billy Bonds was able to do for, for uh, Lyle and West Ham. Mm. And um, he was, John Lyle would just say to uh, Billy Bonds, okay, Bill, get going. And he would kind of get a bit aggressive out there and, and lift the whole session. Bowie was like that. He did all the right things at such a young age. And um, it was a pleasure to have those sort of players. But we had the young coming through. We had the team that was solid and doing well. Quite exciting now with the likes of Mendonca. And in the background, all the way through the, the vein of this, was the players that were leaving the club and getting too old to play, and including Gritty and Curbs, yeah. part of the Vets team. So yeah. it, was, it was an extension from young to the present day to the old, keeping the thing going. And we actually went off to Barcelona on our first trip. Um, I remember it very, very well. Yeah. Yes, you were there. And yeah. uh, these sort of things, not many clubs at that time were doing. Um, and, and again, Peter Varney on this would be get all the, uh, the sponsorship uh, for, to, to raise money for this to happen, where the players went out with their wives for the first time on tours like this. And we had a fantastic period there. So many funny stories to tell that probably needs to be a whole separate uh, session in itself. Well, we'll we'll, um, we'll probably a session on the vets teams with you then, Keith, because uh, uh, you're quite right. I mean, that past trip, we we, we won the competition, but we had um, we performances from from the likes of uh, Mike Bailey and and yourself and. and Mike Flanagan. And how can we not mention Bob Boulder? I know he's coming to the vet scene. Uh, yeah, and he was there, Bob, uh, an integral part of the whole group, not only keeping us all laughing from the bars he visited to the uh, coming on as a striker rather than the goalkeeper. And, um, and of course, we sometimes forget how good he was for us. In those Bob, superb, superb goalkeeper. But, uh, um, and one of one of the great Charlton characters over the last twenty years or so. I mean, what a great player for us as well. And um, uh, as you say, still around, still still involved with the vets, but still involved with um, Charlton Athletic Community Trust. Yes, he does a great job. You know, very good-hearted Bob, and keeps himself in great condition as well. 
every credit to him. And uh, it's, a, it's always a pleasure to see him. It always brings a smile to everyone's face, whoever bumps into him. Not well, let's, uh, let's pick up the uh, veterans when we start the next uh, episode of this. But, uh, Keith, thank you very much indeed. That uh, the memories, your memories and your reminiscences from the 90s. It's, uh, it's great to, uh, to talk to you about these, these fantastic times that the club's had. Um, and really, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider making a donation to CACT at www.cact.org.uk forward slash donate. And any money raised will help CACT keep going and we're working for the community at this uh, incredible time we're all going through at the moment. But uh, thank you very much indeed, Keith. And we'll, uh, we'll talk about the, the start of the next decade next time we meet up. Cheers, Steve. Pleasure. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.